on this week's Bet the Process podcast, we have probably one of the biggest names we've ever had on this podcast. We have Mina probably Kimes. the biggest. The biggest. We have Mina Kimes, which is super exciting. Um, she joins us to talk through uh, her background, her history, what got her into uh, the being an NFL analyst. And we talk through all four games and even give a couple picks. Um, we're actually blazing hot on this podcast, 2-0 and in our last two picks. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, bet. Bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line Welcome is- to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where I like the rest of the internet are annoyed at rufus just kidding rufus you you always make us race around for the podcast it's funny because we have such different schedules i think it makes it hard for us to actually be on the same page when it comes to the uh, podcast but how are you doing well we're in different time zones i think that's part of it and you have kids and you're preparing for a big weekend um i'm doing well turn 50 i'm I'm doing well it's been it's been a challenging week for me, not for the reasons that you would think. Not it has nothing to do with Twitter, but it's just we've uh we've we've had a <laughs> Jeff knows we we've we've had we've had a we've had a tough stretch on the betting front. Um and so you know it's one of those weeks, but where it's occasionally you go through one of these phases that not phases, but one of these streaks that kind of makes you question things a little bit, but Stick with the process. You look at I the didn't... fundamentals. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you guys, how do you, because this is actually like interesting, right? This is uncharted territory for you. It's a new sport that you're betting, college basketball. It's a sport that you personally don't don't have a lot of domain expertise in. And you guys are betting a pretty high volume of games from what I can tell. And, you know, it's, um, as someone that's like kind of kept an eye on your betting, it's like, you know, you, you're losing, like some of these games are not even in it. And like, what, you know, what makes you, how, how do you deal with something like this and feel compelled? Like, Oh, maybe like what gives you the conviction to keep betting? I guess. It's a good question. Um, the back testing of the model, the actual betting that my partner did last year, with a model that had a similar framework, but didn't have some of the same uh, things incorporated into the projections that we do now. And the fact that we've been getting good closing line value, but part of that, you have to worry that you're creating your own closing line value if you're betting enough. Mm-hmm. So that's something we're keeping an eye on as well. But we're also looking at- How do you keep an eye on that? How do you keep an eye on that? We're looking and seeing where the line goes after we bet it. And so if we if we if we bet and we don't move the line at all afterwards, if we can do it completely off screen or something uh, without any that information getting out, then I don't think we're creating our own closing line value. But if there's certain people we're using to get down, and I know that they know, I mean, once they get down for us, 
part of it is they want that information to be able to utilize themselves. And so in those cases, you kind of expect that there will be some movement in that direction if they believe in, in what we're doing. And so that's, uh, but, but truly you don't know you can. And so I don't know. I think you have to think about what are the chances that you go through one of these streaks and these streaks happen. It's happened. They've happened to be in golf. They've happened to be in baseball. They've happened to be in football. They've had to be in, happened to be in second half betting back when things were really, really good in second half betting. So they, they do happen. I think what makes it harder is just the fact that we, I, we have not been betting college basketball for very long. And so you have to ask, is it just part of these natural fluctuations or is there something wrong in the code or in the productionizing of it or something we're missing? Because the model is built, I mean, the, the model is the same model for you know, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. Uh, it's the same code running, running that's producing these things. And so we wouldn't expect things to be drastically different. I mean, there are some rule changes and stuff that we incorporate, but, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say. I've heard from other people, the market's a lot more efficient this year. And I, I have looked and we've shown fewer edges than we have in previous years and sort of smaller edges. But I mean, I'm confident, give, I'm, I'm, I'm confident we're still going to keep firing into it. So that's. That, that's all I got to say. One thing that I've noticed as someone that hasn't really bet college basketball for a while, a few years, it does seem that teams behavior um, at the end of games is even more crazy than it used to be. Like it used to be crazy, but I feel like it's gotten even crazier. And I mean, fouling down 10 with 15 seconds left or 10 seconds left. And like, you know, um, it's, it's, that's one thing I would think would be hard to simulate or model. And I think teams, you know, from an analytical standpoint, why wouldn't you foul there? Right. It's like, why, why wouldn't you, 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 you still, as long as you still have like a greater than 1% chance to win, why wouldn't you, you still don't have, foul, right? you don't have a greater than 1% chance. Well, not in the exact seconds. situation but, that I talked about, but, but down, down nine with, you know, 40 seconds left. Certainly you have greater Everybody, than 1% chance. All the college football, college basketball teams foul there. I don't think the NBA teams do though, because they're good enough free throw shooters. No, the NBA teams definitely don't in that situation. But, but the NBA other thing is conserving effort. You have to get, I mean, the NBA teams are thinking about it like it's a long season. And why are we going to waste our energy making the last minute of the game last, you know, 10 minutes. So I think some of them, some of the fouls at the end with like 10 seconds to go can be attributed to frustration probably after you miss a shot and you're going for the rebound and you don't get it. And right. I mean, but it, it, it's funny. I mean, even the same teams will do it differently from night to night. Yeah, there is no rhyme or reason to this. It's very much, and it, it's crazy. Like a lot of your bets I've, I've watched have come down to like that desperation three at the end, you know, whether it's, whether it goes or not both ways, both directions. Right. And it's like, um, it's college betting college basketball totals. And it was funny because when you started talking to me about it, I was like, Oh man, he's in for it. This is a whole world of like different kind of ridiculous sweat than, than we, you ever thought possible. Right. Well, I haven't watched any of the games really. I'll just, I'll just follow on ESPN, but 
Our, our that's sides sometimes just surprisingly, as bad or even worse. Oh, it's worse, I think. Our sides surprisingly have been doing much better. Why is that surprising? Because our sides haven't done as well and historically. Hmm. Our edges small are smaller. Size, we right? have fewer. It is a small sample size. That's the thing. I don't expect to continue running at 10% ROI on the sides. Um, well, we're going to welcome in Mina Kimes now. This is a real unique situation for us where we have like a legitimate NFL personality that people have heard of on this podcast. So we'll talk to you guys again on the other side. We now welcome in Mina Kimes, who's probably the most legitimate person we've ever had on this podcast, which is pretty exciting. Um, Mina, you almost weren't able to join us here because you were at the super spreader dinner that I put on that Rufus <laughs> managed to try to give everyone COVID. I don't know if you know that. Um, oh, he's patient zero? That, I yeah, am patient legitimately zero. Legitimately half I of didn't that know dinner ended up having COVID and then COVID symptoms in the next week. And that was one of those like, this was at the Sloan Analytics Conference, and it was in 2020. And all of us were like, we probably shouldn't be having this conference, but we all just still did it and went into small areas to have, have dinner. But that was, yeah, thank you for coming to that dinner. And thank God we didn't give you COVID. Although maybe you were asymptomatic. I, no, so I, I, I was, know. yeah, I was one of the survivors. Um, did not, no, did not get it, to be clear, at that dinner. Um I remember that conference very vividly, though, because I did a football analytics panel there, and I got my friend Alec Hallaby, who's a assistant GM with the Eagles, to come. And in the days leading up, he was like, "I've been on like Reddit, and there's this COVID in China. There's like some pretty alarming." And I was like, "It'll be fine. It'll be fine." And then when he came, he was so nervous, and he was absolutely right about everything. So shout out to Alec. Yeah, it was that at that? Um, I stayed at the Ritz. Um. And was in an elevator with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert um, at one point. Ooh. And they, Rudy Gobert was the guy that obviously yeah. got it, what, four or five days later. So, so I think I think Boston was the epicenter of a lot of this, hopefully. Or not well, hopefully, but... Jeff, do you remember when we were at the in the lobby of the Ritz with the Utah Jazz team there? Yeah. And this is... And I was there. And so I, I feel... I, I've personally taken credit for giving it to Rudy you Gobert. took down the NBA. Mm. I did. It's my greatest accomplishment. Mm. yeah right. that enough that COVID was... nonsense <laughs> yeah right it feels like a really long time ago it does yeah so um you know we welcome you in and what, what's your official title at, at ESPN these days it is NFL analyst got it and what how did you become an NFL analyst what what was the sort of like steps to get there and to where you are right now yeah so I was a financial journalist after college for Sometime uh, first at Fortune magazine and then at Bloomberg News. Uh, I was a uh, wrote investigative stories for most of my career, and then ESPN hired me in 2014 as a as a staff writer for ESPN the magazine. So I did I wrote a column about kind of the business of sports, but kind of culture and social stuff with sports. And then I would I wrote a bunch of features, profiles of athletes, traveled a bunch for stories. Uh, and I, I would say maybe a few years after I joined ESPN, I started doing football podcasts with my friend Bill Barnwell. And uh, from there, uh, did a couple of radio shows. I did a fantasy football radio show. Then I had my own radio show. And then from there, I uh, became a panelist on Around the Horn, uh, Highly Questionable, shows like that, uh, where I was more of a generalist. But I just really, really 
uh, wanted to talk about football. I started my own football podcast, Mina Kime Show, featuring Lenny around that time. And uh, eventually, uh, someone at ESPN, when they were rebooting NFL Live, which is uh, one of the shows I'm on, said, would you be interested in like changing your job altogether and really focusing on football? And um, yeah, it was like something I was really excited about doing. So I think in 2020 is when my job title changed. It was, yeah, because we launched our show at the very beginning of the pandemic. So it was right then. Uh, and that's been my job title ever since. And it, and it is actually a pretty meaningful change because um, the work that I do, I don't really write as much anymore. You know, I do, I'm a generalist on Around the Horn, but I spend most of my time thinking, studying, covering football. Do you do a lot of like film study or analytics? Like how do you become, like, yep. what do you use to get sort of an edge? Like, obviously you're not getting an edge the way Rufus and I are in betting necessarily, but you want an edge because you want to have a unique take right on, on football that makes your um, appearance interesting or differentiated. Right. Besides drawing on my copious playing experience, you mean? Uh, exactly. No. Yeah. It, it, a lot of it really, I do spend a lot of time working with data. And I would say that's kind of the difference I bring to a lot of our shows. Um, I'm very fortunate also in this capacity that I have access to databases that I didn't before, whether it's next gen stats, true media is uh, the platform that I probably use the most to do stats work. And a lot of it is just looking at matchups, trying to figure out weaknesses that teams can exploit looking at tendencies, seeing how those tendencies change over the course of the season, um, and then marrying those with film study. A lot of my uh, time, it, it kind of goes back and forth. Like I'll notice something on tape and then go to the stats, but then sometimes I'll notice something in the stats and then go from there to the tape. So it's really just trying to get tape and film to work together, which is something we really try to do on NFL Live too. How did you learn, as Rufus and I being two failed ESPN personalities, <laughs> um, how did you learn to be good on TV? What was, what was the key to that for you? Or was, was it natural for you? I think I'm still learning how to be on TV. <laughs> so I, I am, it's still very much a work in progress, but you know, for me, a lot of it was becoming comfortable delivering opinions, especially being a reporter. That's not really how I came up being an opinionator where, you know, my value was just kind of getting information. I think what I learned is that, or what I kind of eventually figured out is doing tape study, gathering stats was just a different kind of reporting. And then communicating that was not too dissimilar from writing stories. But instead of, you know, writing a 3000 word story based on my reporting, I'm giving like a one minute soundbite. So it was kind of like, how do I find cool information that's new and original or takes and then synthesize that? Um, and, and so for me, like being on Around the Horn was really invaluable because I learned how to like be concise and, uh, you know, kind of not spend too much time in the weeds and figure out which stats worked on TV, which opinions worked. And then a big part of it was just kind of comfort being myself. You know, I used to be really, really nervous every time I was on TV and really, really um, apprehensive of being wrong. And you just kind of let all that shit go. And that's something that just comes with doing it every day. <laughs> and at a certain point, you're like, oh, I didn't hit it out of the park today, but there's always tomorrow. And once you kind of develop that mind state, it's... I guess not too dissimilar from certain things in sports. You just kind of get used to taking swings at it and you get more comfortable taking bigger swings. What's been the most satisfying thing for you about the job? If it's one moment or just something more general? I think there's two things that come to mind. Um, one thing I really love about 
TV and podcasting is the collaborative aspect of it. Like I am not someone who wants to be like a solo artist and do my own thing and do my own show or whatever. I love being part of teams and I've been really lucky to land on some pretty good ones at ESPN. Um, our NFL live team uh, just, it, it's like a joy to work with them. Like most of the time we have like an ongoing group text. That's just every hour. We're just texting each other. And I think it translates into the show. So the best moments for me, the most rewarding ones are like when we're on TV and someone says something and then it triggers a conversation and we all ask each other questions and everybody gets excited. I like that more than like debating. You know what I mean? Like, I just like that feeling of, oh, like they can see what it's like to be at a bar with us. And like, we're actually talking about something. And then I guess the other thing is like, you know, um, Coming up, there uh, there weren't women who give opinions about sports or more analysts, really. Uh, there weren't that many and not covering the NFL. And, and at ESPN, there haven't been female NFL analysts or Asian-American ones. And I hear a lot from younger people who are trying to get into this business who are women and Asian-American who kind of hit me up and they're like, oh, I now think I can do this. So that's pretty cool and rewarding. What's, what's your strategy for dealing with all the... Twitter trolls and the people that, I mean, cause I'm sure you get a ton of abuse. Rufus is literally now just asking for advice because oh, I, am, man. I honestly I, am. Dude, this is the number one thing that like young, whenever I talk to people, they ask about, because I think it's something that literally every human on earth is like, whether you have a thousand followers or a million, it is something that I don't think anyone, nobody's brains are equipped to deal with. And I think we're all trying to figure it out at the, at, in real time. And it's pretty disastrous, frankly, and it shouldn't be a thing. Like people shouldn't have access to that. Uh, for me, like I struggle with um, my own, I know the right way to do it, which is really to not look frankly, because of how my, my mind works. And sometimes I do a pretty good job of that. I have a lot of pretty elaborate filters set up that I would recommend, um, which sucks because I miss out on a lot of cool stuff and nice stuff too. But I just know that like, you know, if I get a hundred nice comments and one mean one, that's the only one I'll remember. But every now and then I, I like am incredibly Im impulsive and write something mean back. <laughs> so I'm not, I don't want to act like I figured it out entirely because um, especially if there's like a joke to be had, I sometimes can't resist it. What, um, what impact has the sort of growth of gambling had on your, your sort of analysis? Like, has it changed things at all? Do you feel like you need to be more abreast of point spreads and, and totals and has it impacted the way you prepare um, or, or the work that you do, your process. I, I mean, definitely spreads like influence how we talk about games now at, at a, just a very basic level. Right. But that's different from even four or five years ago. Um, I think it's useful because something I think about is like, so I'm on a lot of shows where sort of like first take or even sports center will just say like, is this person overrated? Is Dak overrated? Are the Cowboys overrated? Right. We can actually quantify that now. So it's not as vague question and usually honestly vegas properly rates things so i can be like no look at this like this is a neutral <laughs> apprehension like i guess what i'm saying is like pub there's not so uh, public perception is now something that we can actually back with hard information which i personally appreciate because i think it makes the discourse a little bit more intelligent um so for me i think that's kind of the starting point of how it affects the way we talk about sports is we're aware of the view of teams, players, matchups, and then we can work off of 
that awareness, you know, and it's not even for me about like giving advice or saying, you know, they're going to cover. So, you know, I get asked about that stuff. It's more just saying like, okay, here's where the public stands on this, right? Like here's what smart people think. Let's talk about what that's going to happen and why or why not. Interesting. Uh, Rufus, anything else? Or do you want to jump into this week's games? No, I was getting one, one quick thing. Do you use, I guess, how games go relative to the point spread to evaluate any of your own opinions and your film analysis married with the stats that you do? Well, I would first start saying I use spreads themselves to evaluate my opinions. Like if, I, if I'm like way off on something or I have like a very different view, it probably makes me question it a little bit more and examine it and ask whether I'm missing something. Um, so that, that I would say is kind of the starting uh, another way in which it affects not just from the perspective of like, how do we quantify public opinion and whether like what is rated, but like also, okay, I think this, Hmm. Like, why am I so far off on this? You know, what does that mean? And then, and I I usually don't use it to like necessarily second guess myself more than just kind of examine some of my priors. And then like, yeah, it's like kind of the way things go, I think if there's a lot of deviations from expectations, it's it's not too similar from a deviation from advanced statistics. The very basic example being like Vegas hated the Minnesota Vikings this year. Advanced metrics didn't like the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings won a lot of games. But every week I would go on TV and say they're not a great football team. And I think that's a way in which, um, you know, we can kind of, look at what, whether the results are like predictive or not, I suppose. And you get a lot of Minnesota fans telling you that you're wrong. I doubt they were pretty mad this yeah. year. Yeah. Until this week, obviously. They're just mad because it's cold where they are. Like they, they need more warmth in their lives. It is really the cold. Are there... People are more friendly. Because <laughs> they're just stuck in Minnesota. Um, what about this week's games? Are there, Oof. are there ones that pop out to you guys as ones that surprised you is there is the one that you said oh now i need to reevaluate my priors on this rufus you want to go first <laughs> not really i mean i think what surprised me a little bit is that if anything i show value on the two big favorites this week which i didn't really expect so we'll start with jacksonville kc that's an eight and a half point line the total is 53 um the narrative i i heard at the start of the playoffs is that kc's d is better this year than in past years. And, and, you know, Casey could be good value to get through, um, you know, to the Super Bowl and even win the Super Bowl. Um, Mina, does your sort of film study or analysis show any, any sign that, that Casey is better this year from a defensive perspective or what do you, how do you feel about them generally? Yeah. You know, the defense did improve a lot as the season went along. And that's if you look at you know, stats that adjust for opponent like DVOA as well as EPA per play and those other things. And they improved a lot, especially I thought the pass rush looked a lot better as the year went on. So I went back and watched when these teams met in week 10. And I thought the the, the Chiefs defense was very good in that game in certain ways. I thought the pass rush was also very good in this. Uh, Chris Jones like took over the game essentially on his side. But I also, something that jumped out to me that made me a little bit more cautious about this big spread is uh, the Jaguars offense really hadn't quite figured things out at that point. I mean, it was kind of the beginning. Trevor Lawrence was like much better in the second half of the season by every stat. Um, And he wasn't bad in this game, but 
there are just, and this is not about the stats, but they, they've gotten a lot better at beating man coverage, which the Chiefs play a lot. They figured out how to use Evan Ingram after the catch. The Chiefs are not great at tackling and have just kind of gotten better also at mitigating pressure. And Lawrence has been just much more confident and accurate during the football. So that kind of gave me a little bit of pause about, you know, like this game, the Chiefs were pretty dominant in this one. Aside there, you know, a couple of things didn't go their way, but I think that the Jags offense has improved so much. And that gives me a little bit of pause and in buying into the Chiefs defense on this. Yeah, we actually, our numbers actually like the over in this game, uh, which yes. is 53. So I like we, both offenses. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a very high total, um, but yet we like it up to 53 and a half. Uh, Rufus, do you have any other thoughts on this game? No, Just I mean, I, your numbers I make actually spread, like KC. Well, I make the spread 10.1. And so, I mean, Kansas City's getting credit mm. for that buy, which helps. But it, I'm a little surprised there just because I have been higher than the market on Jacksonville. And I, I like Jacksonville a lot this past week. So, um, well, maybe I just uh, that was really dislike the Chargers. Pure like chaos. Yeah. yeah, I think, well, the, the other thing I like about Jacksonville, about the the offenses, and I think Kansas City's going to win, to be clear. I just don't think this Jags defense can stop Patrick Mahomes the way he's playing. But um I, I joked about this. Patrick, Patrick, Doug Peterson opened the game with an onside kick, which is just hilarious. And then on the same drive, he didn't go for on fourth down, which kind of undermines what I'm about to say, which is it was certainly something you saw on display this weekend. He is a coach who is not going to be conservative. Like he's going to seek, seek every edge. He's going to go for it when he's supposed to go for it. He's going to like, you know, going for four, going for two when they were down four. he's going to do things like that, that make me more confident in Jacksonville's ability to put up points on Kansas city. He's not going to coach scared and that does matter. Well, one thing that would historically, we've talked a little bit about this type of coaching. Um, and what this type of coaching does is that it actually makes Jacksonville probably more live on the money line, meaning they have a much better chance to win than what the point spread would say. And it actually makes them in some respects more likely to not cover because he will you know, continue going forward on fourth down in situations when, you know, other teams would probably be more conservative and try to punt and like keep the game close. And so if he does do that, it's interesting because that would, um, I think that would give a lot of value to the over potentially and would tell you to bet Jacksonville on the money line and maybe Kansas city on the point spread. Rufus, do you have a, but also I was going to say, if you follow that line of reasoning, it would make the teaser less valuable because that's normally a great teaser going eight and a half <laughs> to two and a half. And also the going for two and, and for example, like he did down four, I mean, that makes the three worth less also. So, I mean, oh, interesting. I, I think it's, I think along those lines, yeah, the more uncertainty, higher variance. Well, let's move on to the second game, which is the big point spread also. It's Philly minus seven and a half, 48 against mm. the Giants. Um, Giants sort of coming off that obvious big win a win that I think most analytical people sort of expected to some degree no. um, is the giants. What's that? I mean, it's not surprising, but I think it was two evenly matched teams. Okay. I mean, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't, wasn't a huge surprise. So how, what do we think about this giants team going into Philly? Do we think they have a chance here or is this, is this went out right? You know, Philly, or what's that both to win outright or cover because i don't no, think i, I think i think it's both i mean seven and a half is not an enormous line by any means and i think yeah. if you bet the seven and a half on the giants you are believing that they have a chance to win um you know like a 13 point spread maybe you bet because you don't you don't think the team has a chance to win so 
I think I do think the Giants are getting quite a bit of momentum um, from the general sort of mainstream fan right now. And I think Philly is a little bit forgotten because of how great a start they got out to and how kind of like slow they were at the finish. The injuries. So is there is I think that's full strength. Yeah. They're saying he is. So you know. (laughs) And it's it's the third time these teams are playing. Yeah, although the second time was kind of fake, but um, so I did Good watch point. this last game today, the week 14 game, which is not fake, although the Giants had some injuries on defense at the time and they've got players back. However, the Eagles also didn't have Dallas Goddard and the Giants, I think, are the second worst team in the NFL defending tight ends, uh, which you saw on display against Minnesota because TJ Hawkinson ate. Um, so I'm I'm pretty high on Philly in this one. And while I think the Giants have improved and I, I particularly really like some of the stuff they've done on defense. I think people are kind of overrating them because they just played probably the worst possible defense to like, I don't think Minnesota could have put together a worse defensive game plan to play. And this is a Minnesota defense that was bad all year. They couldn't stop the run. They were playing soft zone, which is very bad against New York because um, they have receivers who are pretty good at getting open space and getting yards after the catch. Uh, but it was really really bad and the Eagles defense does have certain weaknesses that I think the Giants can exploit one thing that comes to mind uh they're 30th in EPA per play versus quarterbacks on the run and Daniel Jones barely ran the last time they played so I expect that to happen but they're just much more talented defensively this pass rush is going to take advantage of the right side of the Giants offensive line the DBs are really really good um so and then on the other side of the ball uh again it was like a kind of an ideal matchup in a way because Dexter Lawrence is best player on the Giants defense and the Minnesota offensive line and the interior is very bad. Philly has the best interior offensive line in the NFL. So I just think I, I, the Giants have dramatically outperformed my expectations and I don't think they're a fraudulent team. I just think the Eagles are much better. How are we defining yeah, fraudulent? Because I still, I, I think, still think the Giants are a below average team. They're fine. Yeah, I think they're very matchup oriented is how I would describe it. It really like against a team like Minnesota, you can point to so many where is like I just kind of was throwing out where and and against the the Eagles, the only matchup I think where I like them is Daniel Jones as a runner, frankly. Um, The Eagles offense could just beat you so many different kinds of ways. You know, I the Giants played a lot of cover one. And when you play cover one against Jalen Hurts, he's just been killing them, killing teams, uh, throwing to those receivers outside. I don't know if they'll change it up this week, but I just think the Eagles have so many different answers offensively. I don't think they can solve it. Rufus, what'd you say you make this line? Um, uh, Philadelphia minus 9.6. Yeah. Seems like Philly's so. a play there. Uh, Buffalo, Cincinnati, in what is going to be a very exciting game, I feel like. Buffalo minus the five, um, 48 is the total. Is is this a question of like since he's offensive line really spelling yeah. the doom for the Bengals or I mean like because what we saw last week against Baltimore certainly didn't give us a lot of confidence in Cincinnati yeah this completely effed up this game like it, I, I thought it was gonna be awesome and like the first two times these teams played I was like very excited it was obviously off to a very um kind of hot start before the the DeMar Hamlin injury uh so I Watching the Bengals against Baltimore, who the defense plays Joe Burrow really well generally, but once um, Jonah Williams went out, I mean, they're down three starters now and they're just treat like Burrow is, it doesn't have any time. He knows he doesn't have any time. The ball is coming out quick. 
the Bills are much better at tackling there than a lot of teams. I think I think they'll probably be able to generate some offense because he's so good throwing the ball quick and he's so good pre-snap. But it's it's gonna be hard out there. The thing that makes this game very though uh makes me very nervous about it is Josh Allen has just been so unbelievably chaotic lately that I and, and I think Lou Anarumo, the Bengals defensive coordinator, is one of the best defensive coordinators in football. I am very concerned about him giving the football away. I thought it would be bad. I think it's interesting because <laughs> like Cincinnati didn't look great, but Buffalo, if you just look at the score, I mean, it looks like they drastically underperformed, but it just, it's like every break that could have gone the Dolphins way did go their way. Yeah. yeah. I guess if, if Josh Allen hadn't been turning the ball over as much as he has, I would be like, eh, I could write it off, but like, it's crazy guy. It's like, I don't know what's gotten into him lately, but he's passing up on check downs. He's forcing balls into double. I mean, it, it, it's like a mindset thing, which is what makes him makes it so hard to get a good feel for lately. Um, and I do think this Bengals defense is really good, by the way, not just well coordinated. I think they've got a lot of talented players. I think the Bengals, the Bills offensive line isn't that great either. So I, I guess I, I wouldn't be surprised if this one is a little bit lower scoring is what I'm saying. than perhaps it would, it certainly than it seemed when the last time these teams played. Matt. Can we say maybe the anomaly was Josh Allen when he was checking it down and not making those throws because he'd always been that guy before. And then it's like, suddenly he was making more intelligent decisions and not having those boneheaded plays. Like, was it, I forget what year it was the playoffs against the Titans when it was just like he, every yeah. game, like he would do one really dumb thing. <laughs> he tried I, to I throw like a go bell to a fullback. Yeah. I feel like in that yeah. game, it was insane. Yeah. That was like his first playoff run. And then last year he was, the terminator in the playoffs and he was making the smart plays. I I don't know what's going on. I think some of it has to do with the bills. Like I mentioned, the offensive line is not great. I think outside of Stefan Diggs, the Bills skill players are really unreliable. And I think that's created some problems for them um, in terms of just like being multiple, but I think the bills win. I just, just I don't know. Josh Allen's just make, giving me the heebie jeebies lately. All right. And we'll finish off with the Dallas San Francisco game where, San Francisco is favored by three and a half. The total is 48. This one has all the quarterback questions, obviously. Like, is, is, is what is your, what is your film work analysis say on Brock Purdy? Is he closer to Nick Mullins or Tom Brady at this stage of his career? Meaning not obviously Tom Brady. And would you rather have him or Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah, that's the, if he was healthy. I would rather have him than Jimmy Garoppolo. I'll start there. Um, is that the is that a provocative? I mean, I, I, I don't it's know. It's a I little mean, provocative it, amongst. I think it's provocative amongst like Rufus, who models old white quarterbacks as sort of a very you know as very good and and young quarterbacks hey, is never good. Wow, it's a, old, um, it, race doesn't matter. Like Jason Campbell, we thought when he was a washed up journeyman, like you know he fit the model for guys that are going to overachieve well, Jimmy Garoppolo is a classic good stats not actually that great quarterback so maybe you just have a preference for quarterbacks where this the stats make them look better than they are I mean I just like the, guys that win maybe oh god no I know but the Seattle game was like exhibit a for how little it matters man because Brock Purdy was horrible in the first half and then he kind of he got a little bit better and he made some plays out of structure which is kind of why I prefer him to Garoppolo but I, Wait, would you, I would you prefer him to Geno Smith? 
No, absolutely not. You okay? I just want to make sure. Well, she's also we're no. also dealing with the Seahawks. I know, we, I know. Dude, but... if you put Geno Smith in this offense, he would put up video game it. numbers. Like this is the, the okay. So I mentioned this on my podcast. Brock Purdy finished that. Do you guys uh, use CPOE ever? Uh, so it's a completed a completion percentage over expectation. Yeah. So yeah. for your listeners who aren't aware, it's basically next gen stats metric that looks at how many what should be a quarterback's completion percentage based on the difficulty of the throw the presence of defenders that kind of thing how open guys are and then do they exceed it brock purdy put up like i don't know like 11 yards per play in this game it was like insane 300 yard everything he finished with a negative cpoe that is how good kyle shanahan is and how good these skill players are. And that's not even saying he was bad. I'm just, my point is more that this is the most quarterback friendly offense I think I've ever seen. Um, so ultimately it just doesn't really matter. It's like Trent Dilfer with the Ravens. And well, actually that's, that offense was bad, but they just had a really good defense. Yeah. But the, that level of quarterbacking is all you need to win the Super Bowl for the 49ers, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the, with him, the fear is like, he does, I, I, he does has come close to turning it over a few times. I would say the other thing that gives me a little bit of apprehension. I think the Niners are a better team than Dallas is um, he has not played a pass rush like Dallas is and certainly not an edge rusher like Micah Parsons. If you look at the Niners schedule, it's actually been pretty soft defensively since he took over as quarterback. The Dallas Seahawks defense is terrible, right? So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we see him make mistakes we haven't seen him make this season. Interesting. So Rufus, do you have any, what's your numbers say in this game? San Francisco minus one. I must said San Fran, but I realized I can't say that because you're, oh, so you actually like, like, you actually like Dallas. Don't in say this that. Game. That's I probably going to yeah. be your, your bet going into this game. Interesting. Yeah. My numbers like on, on the Niners have, and, and on Purdy specifically have ticked up each week, but you know, I'm still looking at it from a Bayesian perspective and I don't have the film work part, but and it's it's hard to sort of differentiate quarterback from system offensive coordinator skill position players just statistically. Yes. And so I think that's part that's part of the issue. For what do you sure, what do you think you would make the line here if it was a Garoppolo? Same. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd no, make, but Rufus I'd probably, would make it, I would probably guess make Rufus it, would make it higher. <laughs> I'd probably make it one. minus four, minus um, three and a half. I, I do I, I do think Dex uh, the Dallas offense can move the ball in this ceremony. I mean, it is a little bit of it just having seen Dak Prescott play the best game of his career, but they have a, there's a few areas in which the Niners defense is weak that I think Dallas can take advantage of. So yeah, we'll see. Okay. All right. We have, we have seven questions that we ask all our oh. guests and they're a little bit, they tend to be a little cringy. So you can feel free to pass on any of these, but we at least feel like we need to ask them. The first question is who is funnier Rufus or Jeff? Um, I don't think either of you guys made any jokes today, so I can't say for sure. Okay, so neither um, of us. Neither. Yeah, answer. I guess I neither like that is answer. my answer. Sorry. Who's smarter, Rufus or Jeff? Um, I don't know. That Jimmy Garoppolo opinion really threw me, so maybe Jeff. <laughs> What's the least relatable food that you like? Oh, that's such a good question. Um. Hmm. I love corn. <laughs> I don't know. Like maybe corn, corn on the cob. cob? Like, I just like all corn. corn. That sounds corn, very unrelated. Corn on the cob, cornbread, like street corn, corn with like, I just think corn is so good. What about candy corns? 
That's not, I mean, not candy corn. <laughs> it looks, it doesn't even look like corn. Don't be a Have corn. you ever had uh, cheesy corn, like the Korean, like pub food? It's so good. I've had like the, no, I don't think I've ever had the Korean pub food. That sounds delicious though. It's incredible. Um, what's the, wait, you know, it's interesting that cheese has become something that you eat in Korean restaurants. Like I had like I hate it. beef Bill. dish the other day where there was cheese in it. And it was like, I was like, when did, when did Koreans start eating cheese? Like in their <laughs> dishes, but. Uh, what's the, what's your favorite gambling moment? Have you had one? It can be in a casino. Oh, could it be the time that you help someone win a million dollars on who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah, I guess that's, that counts, right. As a gambling moment. Um, yeah, I'll say that. Cause I've never, you know what, when DFS started, I feel like I had a really good week once, but I don't, yeah, I think that's, I have a good fantasy moment, which I, I it's not quite the same. My first year in ESPN, so ESPN has a war room league for all like, you know, like Rex Ryan yep. and Teddy Bruschi. And they let me in last year and I won my first year as a rookie, which had never happened. Wow. I bet, I bet our friend Matthew Berry wasn't too happy about that. It was not. No. Shout out to uh, Amon Ross St. Brown for carrying me to the finish. Waiver wire pickup. Um, is the, can you tell the, the, the Dave Chang story? Cause I think that's a great story. Uh, so my friend Dave Chang was the celebrity guest on who wants to be a millionaire. And he had me and my other friend, Alan Yang as his phone of friends. Um, and we both, he called on both of us and he called me for that million dollar question. Uh, and it was, um, who was the first president in the white house to have electricity? I think it was, it feels so long ago. Um, Thomas Edison. No, it was Benjamin Harrison. Did you, did you know this off the top of your head or were you just a really fast Googler? I guessed. So neither is the answer. And did you tell him you knew though? Or no, confident? I was like, I think like it wasn't at all a confident thing. And then he's a crazy man. So he just rolled with it. Nice. And I was just kind of going for time period. You know what I mean? Like just some of them, a couple of them were like, no, it's not that. Yeah. Anyways. That's like such a hard time period. Cause there was like, you know, I don't know. Late 1800s. Yeah. There was yeah. Rutherford B. Hayes. And there was, I forget which guy was president twice. Um, Bush. It wasn't no. Grover Cleveland. No. <laughs> no. What's, what's the favorite bet you are making in the next year? It can be a bet. It can be not a money bet. It can be a bet on, I don't know, family or anything. Any bets you're thinking about making? I think that the Detroit Lions will win the NFC North. Start there. I just saw the news that they retain their offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, they might be the favorite, though, so maybe that's not a good bet at all. So that might not be that provocative of a view. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really like that team. I like a lot of the underlying metrics, I think, support that they're going to be good next year. Worst loss you've ever had in your life. We always talk about gambling losses, but I don't know if there's like, a, it, sh- it shouldn't be too serious because now that now that story outside of the gambling world sounds very, very serious. It sounds very, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll go to the flip side, which is I finished last in the War Room League this year. I was literally the Rams of my league. Like I went from, and I had like Cooper Cup. So it was because of the Rams that I finished last. Did you stop caring and start thinking about your vacation? Instead. I have three leagues. Yeah, right. I have three leagues. So I channeled all my energy into the one that I was most competitive, which is my dynasty team. And then the final question is person you'd follow blindly. Wow. Dan Campbell. <laughs> um, 
Uh, yes, I'll I love with, it. I'll go with Bill Barnwell, man, who I, I if you gamble on football, I would read everything he says. And he always does a really good job, by the way, of predicting which teams will regress. And he's usually nails with his predictions. And I usually follow a lot of the same stuff he does. So he is definitely the most trustworthy person I know. Awesome. Well, Mina, thanks for joining us. Um, we have seven listeners, so hopefully they all enjoyed um, <laughs> your appearance. And, uh, you know, we look forward to seeing you all over ESPN and seeing you continue to uh, blaze trails for Asian Americans and females and everyone in general. So keep up the thanks. awesome work. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Thanks, Mina. All right, guys. That was fun. So that was Mina Kimes, who I don't know if she'll regret being on our podcast, but it was a good good conversation. She's, Most people do uh, regret it. That should be one of our that should be one of our seven our questions. questions. Are you going to regret being on this podcast? <laughs> it has to be the last question, though. Which one should that replace? No, no. Um, we didn't get a chance on the beginning to talk about tiltiest moment of the week. Did you have one? It, it sounds like it was just a big tilt for you because of all the. No, I mean, calls, it's just the... it's one of these things that becomes a. It's like a gradual tilt. It things just build up, right? You're like, OK. I reset today where here's where we are. Well, I'm using my hands, which doesn't work for audio very well, but. Then if we start losing, it's like, oh, not again, rather than when things start turning. Like, And we had a really, really good run to end the year in 2022. And those are the times when it just feels like everything you're doing, you're, you're, you're going to win no matter what. And when it's going the other way, it's, yeah. Like, I just don't even want to look. Yeah. I mean... I just know those moments when you're losing, like in every day you lose. And it's funny because as betters, I think that we all try to say that we don't judge short sample sizes, but, but every day, because there's this sort of natural break where you're done and you like go to bed and you wake up and you make your bets again. It's this natural moment where you want like sometimes you just want to feel like you had a positive day, even if it's just like a small positive. I don't know if you ever feel that way, but I have those days where I'm just like, I just want a small 100, positive day. 100%. I'm like, I'm like, I just don't want to lose today. Just yeah. Please. And it's weird. I just don't want to we, lose. And it's, it's such, even a, after it's such all an arbitrary years, endpoint, right? It is. But There's we all the, fall for it, right? We're still human. Jeff, I'm still human. Yeah. I might not watch all the games, I might not, but I'm still yeah. human. Here's a question. Would you rather, I was talking to um, another uh, professional better. Was this no two nights ago? He came to Buddhist class with me and yeah, but you're Buddhist. I don't know. I mean, I, I self-identify as I'm just kidding. kidding. You didn't see my tweet about this. Did you, I was saying they were asking someone that was giving you crap was actually asking if we were going to have someone in uh come onto the podcast to talk about whether people actually start companies to make money or not and uh, i was like yeah we're, we're gonna have the dalai lama on but he's like unfortunately got kicked out of or limited at william hill so he's looking for new out yeah. i will say jeff i mean i think you would agree that people generally have a lot of startups have a purpose that isn't money and money is a secondary thing that's kind of all i was trying to say well so i 
again, like this is neither here nor there. You don't need my advice on this, but the, the, I think the main issue that you have, and and one of our good friends actually texted me the other day and was just like, what's going on with Rufus on Twitter? And I was like, Wait, who, who is this that texted you? You can tell me privately if you want. I'll tell you later. Okay. And, 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 and as, as I was like thinking about it, I was like, you know, the thing is like, people don't really understand that Rufus is genuine and he genuinely thinks unlike any other human being in the world and has very little ability to understand how someone might interpret something he says that he means in a, how someone might interpret something he says differently than the way he means it. So I do think, and I believe you, that when you started Unabated, it wasn't to necessarily make money. You did it because you enjoy working with people. You wanted to work on a project with people that, you know, you wanted that collaborative feel. You've always needed that like sense of belonging from a business perspective or from a work perspective. And I don't think like making a lot of money was at all at the core of what you did. I think that the thing that you fail to recognize is that once you do start a commercial business, regardless of whether that's your top priority, that's always going to be seen as a priority at some level by other people at the company. And even in some respects for yourself, because you have a fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders and to the other people that work with you. So it, it is a little bit, I don't want to say disingenuous, but it's naive to sort of overlook the idea of monetary gain as a motivation for anything that you do from a business perspective. Does that, does that make sense? It, it does make sense. And I'll say, I mean, I mean, I bet for a living, which seems like it must be all about the money, but I, the money just, but for me, I think, you know, this Jeff, the money's the the scoreboard, but it, it's secondary to the challenge and the, and so, and, and obviously it's nice to have, I'm not going to give it away um, yet, but it was not the reason I got into this and it, I just happened to get lucky that I picked a career that ended up being lucrative. I'm very, I'm very lucky. Right. But again, Except I think you fail recently. to understand like how that all ends up I sounding do. to someone that doesn't really like believe or know you the way that I, and it may I, not so just, matter. You may not care. Can I say like, I think the reason I keep interacting with people about this stuff is because I like people and I like, I want to be understood. I like understanding other people yeah, and I, let, you're not and I want get them understood. to understand me. But what Rufus. I'm, but here's the thing, Jeff, there are people that don't actually want to understand that's, and, and so that's, that's what I'm that's walking not, into. That's, that's what so I'm walking that, into. So that's a, I know, I don't think that, I don't, I, I think, think that, that is I being, think that is. I think the, that's a little large... bit being dismissive. No. I think that's being dismissive of the situation that you are putting yourself into, which is trying to get people to understand you via Twitter. I'll right? say this. A lot of like, these people, look, these people that are criticizing Captain Jack, he's sending, he sent me like pictures of DMs they had sent him in the past saying like, like where he helped them and they they said they're such a big fan. And I mean, I, I just think it's it's this sort of cult, this I mean, people people like piling on. It's the mob mentality. And so I think that's what it is. And and that's well, so I, I'm not and, and I, I don't I, know the I think before I was thinking more like you, where you know, I'm Jeff, I think you know this that I'm open to criticism. I think I'm, I, mean, I criticize I'm, you all the time. So I'm yes. pretty open and I, and I, and I'm willing to have these discussions. Um, and it just, and that's what, why these 
things keep happening because I'm willing to have the discussions, but I want the other person, the other people to actually be open as well, rather than have their viewpoint already set. And so otherwise there's one, otherwise there's no reason once somebody gets defensive, a conversation is over you're, you're never changing somebody's mind at that point. What do you mean? I could change my mind. Same well, once you get defensive, okay. I, was, I was just kidding. Uh, I was being defensive. Uh, yeah. No, but okay. So irregardless of any of this, and so we should probably stop. This is kind of like a very nuanced conversation. What I would say is that at the end of the day, like the Twitter sphere as the vehicle to make people understand who the Rufus, who the real Rufus Peabody is, is probably not the best medium to do it. Right. Yeah. And so that's, I that I fair. think is at the core, I think more so than people don't really want to people, maybe it's like the two things in conjunction, right? Like people don't go to Twitter to change their minds and you going to Twitter to get people to change their minds is not a great, like that they're, they're, I went, they're sort of, I went to Twitter, issues. I went to Twitter to, to defend my friend who people were like, if you, if you know, Captain Jack, he is less motivated by money and more motivated by principle than anybody I know. And I mean, I just, I've seen it up close and personal over many years. And so it, it what is well, interesting to me guys, is why, why everybody why didn't else, you, why didn't, I, why did you guys end up starting a company loops. instead? Why didn't you just, why didn't you guys just do like a nonprofit like you had originally talked about? We try, I mean, we don't have the business acumen to do that. That And, and at the time when the pandemic happened, it became clear we weren't going to be able to get funding easily at all. And we needed, we need funding from books. And we had talked to them in the past, like before the pandemic. But at that point, I mean, to enact change in a meaningful way, I think we both realized that we would need to, it would need to be at the legislative level too. And you need money for that. And I mean, neither Jack nor I are the kind of people that could really start a business on our own. I mean, maybe Jack could, I don't know, but. I, I, I need, I need, I need a Jeff Ma and I've talked and I talked to you about that. I remember. Yeah. At the time. I mean, I, I would, I would tell you guys, if I were working with you to stop tweeting, that's what I would tell you yeah. to do. Okay. Let's move on. Um, what, uh, do we have a, I, oh, my tiltiest moment, my tiltiest moment was, can you guess what it was? Uh, Taylor, my college basketball. It was a very know. no. It was a very specific moment on Sunday night at probably roughly seven thirty p.m. Pacific time. When Sunday night Tyler at Huntley mistook oh. himself for someone that was yeah, seven yeah. feet tall yep. Yep. and reached over the goal line because I had, Perfect. I had the over in that game. I had the Ravens in the game and I had the Ravens in the second half. Ouch. And I had had a great week leading up to that, despite your college basketball or your college basketball. I had the Ravens stuff. second half too, by the way. Yeah. And I was feeling great. I mean, like he scores that touchdown there. There's a reasonable chance I win all three, yep. but there's very little chance that I don't win two out of three. Right. Because uh, and so obviously we know what happened and somehow I managed to lose all three. That was my tiltiest moment. Um, you want to talk about a pick of the week? Cause I know you got to get to, uh, sure. Might as well. Yeah. Having dinner with our, our friend, uh, Chris Farges tonight. So that'll be nice. 
My pick of the week, the I, I guess I have to give an NFL. I'm going to go Dallas plus three and a half. The end. I would, I would have guessed that you were going to do that. Um, I'm going to go Bills minus five. I think the Bills are, you know, they're the macro factor. I mean, Mina did worry me a little bit because I do think she's right about this, like carelessness with the ball with uh, Josh Allen. But um, I think, I think they win this game. And I think, I think it's interesting because this is one of those, like if you went back in time, you know, to say the beginning of the year and you were able to get, you know, the bills at plus money or whatever it is to win the AFC at this point. Like, I mean, I know a lot's happened since then, but has a lot happened since then. Okay. So you're on the bills. Bills minus five. Okay. All right. Hope everyone enjoyed this one. Um, we'll talk to you guys all again next week. In the simulated system to break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are about to end just running off a of leaded.